0: In this episode of Balancing the Christian Life, we talk to podcaster Jared Bowman about being a godly man and using digital tools for Christianity. Welcome to Balancing the Christian Life. I'm Dr. Kitty Embry. We'll talk about how to be better Christians and people in the digital age. Let's go. So what do you think it means to be a Christian man in the digital age? the internet does a good job of changing almost everything it touches. And sometimes those changes are exciting. Jared Bullman is a podcaster and evangelist in Oregon who is passionate about both being a Christian man and someone who uses digital tools to spread Christianity. My buddy Hal Hammonds, who was a recent guest on Jared's program, Man Up, put Jared on my radar. By the way, You should absolutely listen to those two episodes with Hal, and really the other episodes Jared is doing. I thought this was going to be a conversation about the use of digital tools to spread Christianity, but as I listen back to the episode, I think this is a great introduction to Jared himself. Trying to get him to avoid talking about being a husband, father, and Christian is as impossible as damming up the Pacific Ocean with mosquito netting. There are two threads that you can follow pretty closely. Jared talks about the men in his life who have shaped him into being the man he has become. His father, his grandfather, a local preacher, a close friend, and his son all figure pretty prominently in this story. But as you unpack who Jared is, you start to see the infectious enthusiasm he has for both the digital tools he uses and the message he's communicating. This episode weighs in at just under an hour. But the unedited conversation was closer to an hour and 45 minutes, probably because Jared is one of those guys who just gets me. Among the topics I decided to leave out are Kamado Grills versus Barrel Smokers, why Superman is probably a pretty good role model, the joy of building your own computer, how DNA and RNA do a pretty good job of suggesting an intelligent creator, and how we both love a couple of good friends we share. Frankly, I could have gone a lot longer. But as you listen to what we do talk about, I want you to note what he thinks are the biggest advantages of digital tools and what he hopes to see us doing with them in the next five years. How you doing, Jared? Oh, I'm doing well. You're a fellow podcaster. Your podcast is geared toward men. It's called Man Up. You also have a YouTube channel geared toward biblical teaching. How did you just decide to start those?
1: That's a really great question. I absolutely love to talk about both of these things because I'm so passionate about yeah. them. The podcast grew out of the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel started as a Facebook live stream, which was a terrible idea. <laughs> Should've started on YouTube. Okay. It all started in the early days of COVID. A lot of people were feeling disconnected. The congregation that I preach for had gone to one yeah. service some weeks that service was in my house. That was all the spiritual care and feeding that people were getting. and uh-huh. it started as a second sermon for that little congregation in Centerville, Texas, and it grew from there. I wanted to do something more with it. I wanted people to feel like they were connecting to not just me but to others that were liking and commenting and sharing and And I wanted to answer some difficult questions about the Bible. The thing I began to realize about Biblically Speaking, which is the YouTube program still going Uh on to this day, is that it was really hard to define the niche audience that I was going for because the topics were so broad. And I started looking at what's an area that I could step into that would help Christians And there's a lot of good podcasts out there about marriage. Mm. Chris Emerson's got Excel still more about weeding out what's not important and getting to what is important in your life. I think it's probably the best way to describe Chris's podcast. What I saw was that there was very little out there specifically for Christian men. What I wanted Man Up to be was not just, hey, we've got to put on the armor of God and go out there and wage war, although that kind of is the motif that I wrap (laughs) it in, but it's more about looking at my life and saying, I can do better.
0: Who are you talking to? If you reach this guy, you've gotten your audience. Who is that guy?
1: That depends on the subject. This is the second podcast that I've started. And the first one I realized was just white noise. But early in this new podcast, I interviewed a guy by the name of Brian Haynes. And Brian is a buddy of mine. But sometimes you find th- out things about people when you're interviewing them that you go, wow, I wish I had known that before. <laughs> yeah, I get that. And Brian gave a great interview on raising children, and it it was a lot of back and forth. We talked about the pitfalls, the struggles, the successes. I would say that it would depend on the subject who the right person Mm -hmm. is for that podcast. But I really do feel like the podcast is won or lost based on
0: who you bring in or if you're doing it solo, what you bring in. When I started the podcast, and to a certain extent this is still true, I was talking to my son, Jake, and Jake has appeared on the podcast a few times. But one of the things that I know is if Jake doesn't understand it, it's wrong. If there's a level of of description that I'm going to have, there's a whole vocabulary that I will not use. Why? Jake doesn't get it. And what that for me did very quickly was what belongs in, what belongs out? Mm -hmm. What should I cover and what should I not cover? Mm -hmm. The the beauty of having that avatar, that that person, that ideal audience, it, it answered so many questions so quickly. Mm-hmm. And I understand what you're talking about. Your avatar is really Christian men. If I were generally going to encapsulate
1: it, I would probably say Christian men, late 20s to maybe early 60s. Some guys are just wrapping up, raising children and focusing on the path beyond that, maybe late in their 50s. Yeah. Some guys are in their 20s and, You know, praying, God, when am I going to find the right woman? Mm-hmm. And they're listening to all the wrong advice. I want people that are able to speak to people at different stages of their life. Because if you look at the spread on the podcast, the highest volume of listenership is between 30 and 45. Mm -hmm. But those outlying demographics aren't really much lower.
0: And a surprising number of women listening to a men's podcast. It seems like guys tend to gravitate towards some fairly safe topics. Football is an easy topic for guys to gravitate toward. We tend to either geek out or go after stats for baseball players or something like that. Mm -hmm. Those are the conversations that guys traditionally have. When my wife and daughter go to the mall and they don't come home with anything, that was never really the intention. They went to go talk to each other. If a bunch of guys get in a car and go to the mall and come home with nothing, failed trip. Obviously, something went wrong. Guys do this differently. And it's not just that we don't usually have these kinds of important conversations. I think you're right. We don't know how. In the conversation I had with Mark Roberts about this, one of the things he talked about was picking up golf. Why? To have a two minute conversation on the 18th hole. Guys generally bond through doing stuff together. I think he's dead on. Unfortunately, I think he is right. Yeah. I think a lot of it goes back to the
1: Western ideal of what a Mm -hmm. man is, that we don't have conversations where we are emotionally vulnerable because, and I'm going to put on my Frankenstein voice here, emotion bad.
0: Oh, (laughs) that we get into
1: we get into that place where we quickly feel overwhelmed because take it back to being a child. You can see a child who's on the verge of communicating. There's a lot of frustration in maybe that that 12 to 18 month range where they would want to communicate a concept, but they can't. And I remember a Will, my son used to come up to me while I was standing in the kitchen and he would run up to me. He'd tug on my pants leg and he'd go, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I don't know what is. So no, okay. Take daddy and show right. him. And he would go, And then grab my finger and walk me over somewhere. And it was usually the batteries fell out of Lightning McQueen or something like that. But the lack of being able to communicate. And one of the reasons why we struggle as men and why we have to go for those common topics. A big topic for me with guys is coffee because I'm not a huge sports guy either. I like baseball. I loved watching Nolan Ryan pitch growing up and things like that. But I'm not an authority on football and I don't want to be. And I will engage with it enough to be able to talk to my brethren And bridge that gap into other things. But coffee is a big one for me. And I'll talk about coffee with people. But you need that language in order to be able to have the conversation. And too often the discussion about difficult things, be it sex or fatherhood or even emotionally taking care of your wife, were things that fathers didn't know how to discuss in part because we weren't talking about them from the pulpit. That's true. Yeah. We'll save that for one-on-one discussions. The guy doesn't know how to ask the question because he's never been prepared to ask the question. He doesn't know the language of the yeah. question. And that's really the point of man up is to get us in touch, not with I, mean, I think I think the Western ideal is let's get in touch with our feminine side. It's not get in touch with our feminine side. It's get in touch with what it really means to be a godly yeah, man. I agree.
0: You use the first Corinthians verse that a lot of people do where it talks about act like men, and it gives some characteristics mm-hmm. of manlyhood. And I, I think that's reasonable. I, I think one of the things that I remember is my grandfather was uh, in Patton's army during World War II. He's been dead for, <clears throat> for many years now. He hated Patton. I can't tell you if this is me constructing a memory or if this is a real memory at this point. But I think when I was a child, I asked him what they talked about in the foxhole. And my grandfather said nothing. And I said, oh, you didn't talk about anything important. And he said, no, we didn't talk. The way I knew that those guys were my buddies is when I got out of the foxhole, they had my back. It it, it started making me think, men aren't broken women. There was a guy that I worked with for a long time. And the way I found out we were real friends, I had to move from one apartment to the next. And he showed up. He said 10 words the entire day, but boy, he picked up everything. He, he got it in the back Mm -hmm. of the car and then he helped me drive it and unpack it at the next place. Again, he said practically Mm -hmm. nothing. And that's the way I figured out he's a good buddy of mine. I I, I think part of it is we don't have the vocabulary, but, but I think we are so, in my opinion, action oriented that we want to get something Mm -hmm. done. And it's the problem that every husband has where the wife starts complaining about what's going on and the guy wants to fix it. And that was never the point of the conversation to begin with. It's about the nail, right? <laughs> no, it, For her, it's about what I love that.
1: Yeah, we all we've yeah, all seen yeah, that. But for her, it's about the emotions that got the nail there right. in the first place. And if you don't understand that, then you don't live with your wife in an understanding yeah, yeah. way you were talking about how you identified your friend and that's such a wonderful thing because that is a core component to the male dynamic of friendship. And I'm not saying we need to lose that, but we need to bring the language component into it. Mm. There's a reason why, you know, David, you know, loved Jonathan as if it was his own soul that there's action there. They were archers together. They would have had activities. and, And if, the biblical, if I'm lining the biblical accounts up, Jonathan was probably quite a bit older yeah, than David. And so he probably loved David like a little brother. But there was also the language there, that concern they have for each other on their parting where Jonathan swears his allegiance to right. David. You have these moments between men we lost in part because we're busy, but in part because we've emphasized one side of that relationship, the action yeah. side over, hey, let's sit down and have a cup of coffee and have a really frank discussion.
0: Yeah. Have you read any Deborah Tannen? No, I don't believe so. She's written a couple of books just about how men behave in all-male relationships and how women behave in all-women relationships. And one of the things she talks about is the difference between report talk and rapport talk. Men will often talk about facts. And that, I think that's part of why we like baseball, stuff like that, that has a million stats that are, are are there with it. And we will argue about which superhero can beat up the other one. And they're all made up. The thing about it is yeah. it makes really no difference whatsoever. So are the baseball yeah, stats. No, that's exactly, <laughs> yeah, we love having that conflict. We love having that competition. And one of the things that she talks about is in all male groups – one of the things that happens, you can brag if you can back it up. If you're Michael Jordan, you can talk about how good you are on the court. But if you're in an Mm all-woman group, you can't brag. You can't be better than anybody else. Because one of the things that happens is if you are seen as somebody who thinks more of herself than she should, you will be brought down. I always admired the guys who had more athletic skills than I do. And... Mm -hmm. It's not that I wish that I had their skills. Sometimes I want to bring them down. But if I can't, Mm -hmm. it's like, that is so cool. Look how good he is. Just look how good he is. He's
1: good at that. There's actually a kind of weird male security in insecurity when I know that I'm not good at something, but I can turn around and poke fun at myself a little bit for it. Then I can relate to other guys with that. Like for instance, I've got two left feet. I, I can be marginally terrible at baseball. I know, it, I know. At basketball, I'm going to do a faceplant. There's just no way I can't. My left foot and right foot, I they are the perfect example of Matthew six. One doesn't know what the other one's doing, and that is legitimately me. But I know that can be fun. But at the same time, I admire guys like Ben Lee. Yeah. Who's got an amazing skill of starting these things and succeeding it? Whether it's it's he's gonna go, he's gonna go on a run a marathon or do a hike, or he's gonna put on 20 pounds of muscle in a year or something Mm -hmm. like that. Even though he and I are not that far apart in age, I think I'm a couple years older than he is. I always look like the old guy (laughs) at the end of the interview because Ben is bouncing around like a rubber ball, and I'm over here just like, I'm not gonna be Ben Lee, but I'm okay with that. And my buddies are okay with that, and they're okay with me even pretending to be sometimes because they know I'm poking uh, fun at myself. But at the same time, you're absolutely right about women, too. In fact, my wife shared a story with me about how the idea of don't wear white after Labor Day uh, began. And it began in the country clubs where the women that were from the old money started this rule of you don't wear white after Labor Day to separate themselves from the nouveau riche because the women with new money thought that white was a symbol of opulence because you could afford to get something dirty. And Uh, so they could differentiate themselves. Like you said, bring those women down a peg that they thought were putting on airs. Now it was a very unkind way of doing it, but it was exactly what you're talking about. And what you're getting at, and this is a much older book than probably the one that you recommended, is women really are from Venus and men are from (laughs) Mars, that we have entirely different conversations and ways of relating to the opposite sex and relating to each other. If Some of my buddies, like Brian Haynes, that was on that podcast I mentioned, if he doesn't tear me down and I don't tear him down about 15 minutes after being in one another's presence, then I'll look at Brian and go, okay, what's wrong? (laughs) Because we did this great episode of Biblically Speaking where Brian is bald and the sun was reflecting off his head. And I looked at him and just said, would you stop that? Because I'm (laughs) glowing. And he said he directed his head to where even more sunlight fell on me. And I got this. My face just absolutely whited out. And I said, that's the problem with you bald guys. But I can't keep doing that because you're going to summon bears. (laughs) And he and I have this great rapport But it's partially built on tearing each other down because that's actually one of the few languages of love that men have
0: mastered. But there has to be that friendship there. You and Brian have such a natural rapport. And I've got a buddy of mine like that, Mark McCrary. I, I am happy to rip him up one side and down the other because he's a guy that I've loved for 20 years. I'm full on Marvel. He's full on DC. He is full on everything Apple. I am full on everything not Apple. The other thing that I appreciate about that and I'm sure you you've had this exact thing as well. He and I disagree biblically on some things. And I have never, ever felt threatened by a disagreement that we have on anything religious. I always know. Mm-hmm. I always know. In those kinds of conversations, Mark is going to make me have a metal workout. And I'm going to have to mm-hmm. defend positions that I don't really have to defend with anybody else. Why? We don't talk about it. Right. But with Mark, it's fair game. And whatever we say makes no difference. I love him. He loves me. Mm -hmm. And I've I've said this to Mark a thousand times at this point. My guess is you've said something similar to Brian. I will always fight for his right to be wrong. I love that. If he's right, I got a better idea. And the fact that I got it from a buddy of mine, so much the better. I haven't seen that yet, but as soon as he's willing to recognize how wrong he is, I think we'll all be happier.
1: But I have another buddy like that, Jeremy, that he and I are— yeah, Jeremy's a gospel preacher. There's some minor things that we have some disagreements on. You know, why is this written yeah. this way? And I'll frequently tell it because Brian, I actually just met within the last year, but he showed up the day we were moving in to help me there move into go. my house. I'm like, you're good people. But Jeremy, I've known for years and it drives him crazy. But I will frequently tell him, you don't have to agree with me. It's OK to be wrong. <laughs> And you could just see the color drain out of his face and that he gets really red and that it drains out of his face again. And then he gets this impish Grinch like grin because I know he's got something to come back yeah. at me with, but you can watch the process
0: happen. And that's why he loves me. That's why yeah. I love him. I completely get that. Let me jump tracks just a little bit, because one of the things that that okay. I'm really excited about. I call this digital discipleship. I think, frankly, it's a big deal. I'm a huge fan of it. But let me ask you this, because I think this is an important place to go first. What's the danger of digital discipleship? First of all, there's a
1: danger in digital because digital so often replaces real life that we'll take the comment on the Facebook profile of when somebody loses a loved one of, hey, I'm praying for you. And will replace actually going and sitting with them.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and that's not to be down on Facebook. We far too often get down on technology yeah. or new things without seeing the good side of them. Allowing a text message to your wife, love you, to replace looking her in the eyes in the kitchen and just say, I love you, babe, and I'm glad you're my wife. Yeah. The two things are not equal. There is a limit to digital communication. We may not be living up to the expectations that God has for us in loving and supporting our brethren. We don't always do the best job of auditing what we're hearing. I I grew up where Dee Bowman preached. I learned that all listening is auditing. One of the things, particularly with things like YouTube, and I'm a YouTuber. In fact, I'm probably a better YouTuber than I am a podcaster. One of the dangers of YouTube, you can put more in the production value than you can in the message. The second is we don't always consider the validity of the messages that we're hearing. There might be some small thing in there that's good, but you might have to wade through a lot of garbage to get to it. The third danger is that it replaces in our minds the assembling together with the saints. Biblically speaking, started as an additional sermon, and then I realized sermons are not really that good online. It was terrible. I was sitting at the kitchen table with the worst mic and the worst camera you can imagine. <laughs> I, I looked like a second grader in the school play. My back didn't bend. My my eye line never yeah. moved. My jaw barely flexed. And it was like, this is what this passage yeah. says. And I became much more relaxed and much more comfortable. But I realized that my audience might be doing that as well. I mentioned Jeremy. Jeremy a minute ago. COVID hit and we all started putting sermons online just like that. We'd never done it before. He says, we spent all the 80s and 90s warning against the evils of televangelists. (laughs) And then we all became them.
0: That's exactly (laughs) right. COVID hit.
1: Yeah. And it's absolutely true. Now, the integrity is better. Hopefully the integrity is better. I don't want anybody If somebody watches or listens to a sermon I preach or a podcast I do or a YouTube program that I do during the week, and if it's an extra extra spiritual supplement for their life, then great. But I don't want it to replace the need
0: to be together hearing preaching from the pulpit from their own local evangelist. There are three big dangers that I see, and see if you agree with this. The first one is the addictive nature of most online stuff. You talk about YouTube. I've used this example in the mm-hmm. past. I'm recently in the market for a new Kamado grill because my Kamado is starting to fall apart. It's it's one that's a, a cheaper one. And, and one of the things that YouTube has done pretty well for me is they recognized, oh, Kenny's looking at Kamado grills. We got about 400 more videos that he'd probably like to see. We'll go ahead and queue those up for him. And, and I think I have the... Because... Google, through YouTube, knows that's what I'm looking for. They make money the the longer I spend on that platform. They understand my addictive brain, and they are happy to exploit that. And it's not even like they're nefariously Mm -hmm. exploiting that. They are allowing an algorithm to start making choices on their behalf, and they will be just as surprised as Mm -hmm. I am what videos come up in my feed. Mm -hmm. They just know every time Kenny watches a, a Kamado video, well, he's ready for another one. I think the second big danger is related to the first. That a lot of the content that we, that we get online gives us an aggrandized sense of ourselves because it's all tailored to me. You could talk about echo chambers where it's just amazing. Everybody I talk to pretty much thinks like I do. It's just a bunch of reasonable people that keep on saying exactly what I think. The challenge there is to find people who don't think like me. It's a struggle to find people that are going to push back on some of your boneheaded ideas and say, what kind of numbskull are you trying to be here? The third real danger of digital media is I don't think it's lying. And it happens in social media all the time. When I went to New York with my Mm -hmm. wife, my kids made fun of me to no end. Because about every five to 10 minutes I was posting another picture. And that was the only time I've ever mm-hmm. used Instagram. But one of the things I started figuring out is Instagram is not lies. It's just a highlight reel. It's the truth over and over again. But they've taken all the boring stuff out. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I'm, I'm being dishonest. I guess the, the word I would use is inauthentic. The, the experience that I'm showing... As a Christian, as a consumer, anywhere, is basically the best stuff that I want to show. Because I don't want Mm -hmm. to show the stuff that's boring. I don't want to show the stuff where I look like an idiot. And I'm a big idiot.
1: Mm -hmm. They're very real and they're also very psychological. You touched on that idea of you feel like an idiot. And I think a lot of that comes from from comparing our real life to everybody else's highlight reels. And my wife is the first person I heard say that one of the things that we're constantly doing as Christians is we see people let's take it away from digital for a second and just even go to, to worshiping together. We see people, their kids are all put together. The little boys got the bow tie (laughs) on the little girls in the pretty dress. Moms all put together. Dad's all put together. And we're trying to mimic the same thing, but the difference is we know the, hour worth of struggle that it took to get to worship service because I had to poke Will four times. Get out of bed, Come on, dude. It's time to get (laughs) up. It's time to get ready. And Lauren, it's a high humidity day and her hair isn't cooperating. And I didn't spend enough time on my hair because I was doing last minute sermon prep. So I've got this Cow lick that she saw right as I'm walking into the church building. (laughs) And I feel the, I mean, guys, we all know this. If you got hair, you feel the lick and the pat down on the back of the head because she's trying to make you look presentable. So you're feeling frazzled and you're seeing everybody else's highlight reel, but what you didn't see is they went through the same things. Digitally, it's really the same kind of thing that we put our best days out there. I mean, we either vague book, which is, we don't really say what's going on, but we try to garner interest in our lives by saying something bad is going on without saying what it is, or we put our best days out there. And psychologically it does become the trap where we feel like, man, my life just doesn't measure up to everybody else's. The idea of being sucked into it is also a psychological danger. Before I was a YouTuber, I was an ardent user of Wikipedia and I have, begun to research an ancient language and ended up on what the appendix does. (laughs) And I have no idea how I got there 45 minutes later, sometimes two hours later. And I got to tell you guys, and it's not to hide your browsing history, but sometimes incognito browsing is your friend. That if I've done plenty of episodes of man up and biblically speaking, where we've touched on researching biblical discussions about sex is going to fill your browser up with all kinds of images that you didn't want. Forget other browsing history that you really shouldn't be part of, but just trying to find good ways of talking about this or even something like statistics for pornography. You're going to end up with more garbage in your thread than you ever want to see because it's associating those two things.
0: I think we've done a pretty good job of talking about at least some of the negatives of of digital discipleship, but there's a lot that's good Mm -hmm. about it. Absolutely. What do you think most people are missing about
1: it? I think they're missing variety. That if you're very discerning in what you are taking in, if you're judging the content, if you're auditing what you're listening to or what you're viewing on YouTube, and you're really comparing it to the scripture – There are a lot of things out there. You want a podcast to help your marriage grow? There's podcasts for that. You want podcasts that will help you understand godly sexual intimacy with your wife? There's podcasts for that. You want podcasts about healing from trauma that are biblically based? There's podcasts for that. In fact, you did two great episodes on that very recently. The idea there is a voice out there for everything that I'm looking for. I just have to be discerning about it. One of the other advantages is that it allows us to communicate across great you know, divides. I, until I moved to the Pacific Northwest, I had no idea what a physical divide the Rocky Mountains still are for our country. Mm-hmm. The grocery store chains over here are different. Over here, it's Fred Meyer. In Texas, it was Kroger. Yeah. Same company. But even the preachers yeah. are different. A lot of the guys that I would hear you know, being west of the Mississippi, but east of the Rocky Mountains, you'd get a lot of the bleed over from Florida or Arkansas or Oklahoma. Over here, there's a lot more guys that are from California that I've never heard, or in some cases, now there's a lot fewer from Oregon. There aren't very many churches in Oregon, but Oregon's only a state of, I think, 4 million people. I came from a city of 7 million people in the metro area. This opening of voices and perspectives on scripture that are all biblical that I've never heard before. One of the other great advantages to this tool is it answers the question of, How can I involve myself in discipleship Uh and in teaching others the gospel? One of the things that I think, and it's really become evident in the time of COVID that is exposed a weakness among God's people is in my lifetime. We have squandered the best opportunity to talk about Jesus that we've ever seen, that men were actually thinking about their mortality for the last two years and instead we fought about mask wearing and vaccinations and everything else. And we didn't use the opportunity for kingdom work. But then the question came when I presented that, that issue to somebody few months ago. How would you have done kingdom work? A door knocking was off the table. Sitting down with somebody, a random person at Starbucks yeah. was off the table. Shaking hands with people was off the table. Nobody wanted to take anything from you. You can create a QR code for a podcast and say, I see that you mentioned to me the other day that that there was some struggle with raising your kid. Here's a great podcast by a, a guy who talks about being a father or you recently lost a child. Here's a guy named Kenny Embry that interviewed somebody who lost two special needs childrens and The guy is now counting it as a victory because he sees the joy in pursuing a life that will allow him to see those children again and the comfort in that. We've missed a great opportunity, but I've got to tell you, in this day and age, nobody wants a tract anymore. Nobody wants to sit down unplanned and have a discussion with you. But we've got to do get better at two things. Number one, we've got to get better about having personal discussions with our friends and neighbors, the like low-hanging yeah. fruit. And most of those people are honestly, they're going to be people who are engaged in other forms of worship that we don't understand, but they have a heart for seeking God. We've got to get better about talking to them, yeah. and we've got to get better about talking to people that we don't know by giving them digital assets. And that can be podcasts, it can be YouTubes, it can be sermons, it can be the recordings of yeah. sermons. But I've got to tell you, a podcast like Man Up or a podcast like yours that is way less confrontational than watching a guy in a suit and a tie <laughs> stand in a pulpit talk like this yeah. with a bit of an affectation is going to be way less confrontational and much less intimidating, it's going to communicate much more effectively than some guy standing in a pulpit that you really can't see his face. And you're looking at the backs of the heads of 50 or 300. Yeah, people.
0: I think one of the things that you, and you brought this up just a little bit earlier in a conversation like this, we can talk about where we're all idiots, where, where we have our doubts and things like that. I don't see that happening a lot in a church building. And I think right. we're all doing exactly the same thing, which is the kids are fighting on the way to the church building. The kids are fighting on the way out of the church building, too. But in the church building, everybody's yeah. clean. Everybody smells good. And nobody's acting up too much. And that is another intimidating experience. And you want me to come to your building dressed up nicely to ask polite questions and really not know a soul there. That's a big ask. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame them for thinking twice about that especially when they can tell that every person there is
1: putting one a bit of a, not deceptively, but we're putting a best foot forward kind of thing. Now, whether that's to impress our brethren or that's because some people feel like they have this obligation to God that they need to put on their best and be refined in their dress and in their manner of speech. But you can tell that there's an affectation to it. We had a guy that converted recently. He was a Catholic growing up and he was non-practicing and in college. And a a brother on the East coast started talking to him named David Rafe and David started the conversation. And then the young man moved here and I had several Bible studies with him. And he came for months to worship service in shorts because that's all he had. He was a basketball player. All he, he wore all the time was shorts. And he was one of the very few African Americans that was in the congregation But to his credit, he kept coming, but you had to have the real conversations with him and he was baptized and now he's a member of the congregation. We had to keep having the real conversations because the Sunday morning event was always a struggle for him because not ethnically, but just. The rest of the package didn't fit. The the clothing didn't fit the demeanor. And he could sense that there was something different about going and playing disc golf with me and talking about the Bible where I'm wearing shorts and (laughs) T-shirts and Sunday morning when I'm wearing a shirt, a tie, a
0: coat. But he had to see that I was the same person. There are a lot of people who get really nervous when we talk about this stuff. Why do you think they get so nervous?
1: I think the tools make us nervous because they're out of our hands. But biblically speaking, it's probably going to live long after yeah. I'm dead. And that's honestly, Kenny, one of the appeals to it for me. My son can still hear Bible lessons from me into his manhood long after I'm no longer treading the soil of this earth yeah. uh, and can show his kids, oh, hey, that's granddad or, or great granddad. Yeah. There's been changes that I've made in my thinking on passages of scripture that aren't huge changes, But maybe I wish I hadn't been as emphatic about things that I said and how well I thought I understood a passage, because now that I've matured a little bit, I've studied a little bit more, I've added some other passages of scripture beside it. I suddenly see, okay, maybe that wasn't the best one to make from that passage. I could be wrong, and I'm wrong in front of this huge audience. Mm -hmm. When I am wrong, I have to own it very publicly. Yeah. I'm a little more comfortable with that because as a gospel preacher, you sort of have to inoculate yourself with the knowledge that you're going to make mistakes. You're going to misuse passages that you didn't realize what they weren't saying kind of thing until you get a little more mature in the scripture. And then you have to go back and say, Hey, when I talked about this before, I don't think I had this quite right. right." And so maybe it's a little easier for me, but it's just hard to ask for help. And so going and looking at getting this information online, particularly something that's personal. I I mentioned podcasts about Christian based podcasts, and I'm not using Christian loosely there. I'm using it in the term of what we would call a biblical Christian, Mm -hmm. things like going and listening to something about sexual intimacy with your wife. And we haven't done a program like that on man up, but we're going to do something because some of that, because it's part of being a man. Number one, I'm admitting that maybe I struggle with that. I'm also admitting as somebody who's listening to that, that, and what if somebody else saw me listening to this? What are they going to think? Am I perverted in some kind of way because I'm listening to a podcast about sexual intimacy? Or are is that saying something about my wife and I that we're having some kind of struggle? And the answer is no. We just want good godly content. Yeah. and We should be seeking out good godly content in all areas of our life. Yeah. One of the places where you see that nervousness is where Christians start talking about a book like the Song of Solomon. The Song of Songs is in the Bible. And I really believe that it's, primary focus is on the God approved language of love between a husband mm-hmm. and a wife. And I would probably call the book Solomon's lament, because if you read the one that the the Shulamite woman chooses, it's not the King, it's the shepherd boy that's leaping from rock to rock right. because he had the key to her heart. That's part of living with your wife in an understanding way. And particularly when it comes to things like emotions and how they get tangled up with, with something like, again, sexual intimacy, What is going to engage my wife to express love in the confines of the bedroom is going to be the way that I relate to her emotionally outside of the bedroom. Being able to talk about that as men is powerful. It's not gross. It's not icky. It's not, oh, dude, I don't need. We all need help with that because we're not women. We're men. Right. And that's the whole reason the book is there. And that kind of bridges the gap between the two into the second answer, which is, What the part of the nervousness of this is exposing myself to things that are going to cause me to grow and growth is hard. We are nervous about this because there's a vulnerability to growth. Without that conversation that we talked about first, we begin to realize I don't even know how to have these discussions. My father is a great man. There was never anything off the table that we couldn't discuss with him. Unfortunately, I didn't realize that till later in life because there were conversations that I didn't know how to have. And fortunately, my dad eventually realized that he had to be the initiator of some of those conversations. And they weren't always about, we always think when we talk about that, the sex conversation, but it was also just how to be a good man, how to be a good father, how to be a good disciple of Jesus. I remember one of the best pieces of advice my dad gave me, and it came when I started dating, And he told me, he said, Jared, if you never walk out of a movie, you're taking in too much. And I can remember that conversation about there being some things, even in PG and PG 13 movies that you don't need to be watching. And I don't even know why he gave me that piece of advice other than as Christians, there's not much more to dating other than
0: picnics, dinner out and movies and walking around the mall. You're making me think about the most important conversations I've had with my kids is when I was taking them someplace. And it was the trip Mm -hmm. out to the track meet or to take them to soccer practice or something like that. That's one of those important conversations like you're talking about. Do you remember the setting where your dad told you that that movie advice? Actually, yes. We were sitting in the living room. It was
1: probably building a computer for my graduation. I was a nerd, a geek and a nerd. (laughs) For graduation, I could have asked for anything. I asked for a computer. (laughs) And some of the best conversations I had with my dad, I always knew my dad loved me, but my relationship with him was different than my other brothers. All of my other brothers, and I have Uh three, they have extreme dexterity. Jason, who who is over 50 years old now, has a nimbleness in his fingers that most 20-year-olds wish Uh that they had. And he's able to do things like reach up into an engine blindly and turn a bolt without... Really knowing where he's putting his hand and knows what he's doing. My younger brother, Justin, runs a home theater company in Houston, and he is probably the best guitar player that I've ever met that hasn't been signed to a record label. And my younger brother, Jordan, followed after them. I'm the klutz of the family, and I was the resident tool hander. That my job when we were working on cars was to have tools described to go get me this kind of wrench, Jared, and here's what it looks like. And I would bring back four different examples of what I thought they were describing. And that was my means of helping. And so I didn't have that bond with my dad that the other guys did. But I realized that my dad and I bonded on a cerebral level that maybe the other guys didn't as readily bond with him in that way. They're not dumb. They're all smart, but they didn't necessarily share that bond. And that conversation probably happened over building a computer because my favorite thing to do was to tear down and build that computer over and over again to learn what the parts did to, to uninstall and reinstall the operating system. And dad would always be right there with me, talking me through it. We would upgrade our computers at the same time. If I got a wild hair that, Hey, I want to add some Ram dad would be like, okay, I'm going to add some Ram too. And we would go and and we'd save up and we'd buy the RAM that we built brand new computers together from scratch. But not long after I moved out of the house that we were the first ones to put lights in our computers. We thought that was so cool. Now everybody does it. (laughs) But that conversation happened over just he and I sitting around doing something else. And he wanted to have an important conversation.
0: I, I think that's the way guys do it. Who are some other guys that have meant something to you?
1: Oh man, there's so yeah. many. My dad obviously is at the top of that heap. My grandfather, my dad's parents left the Lord and eventually they both abandoned him. But my mom's parents were all the grandparents that I needed that I never felt like I was lacking. I was never jealous of the other kids for having two sets of grandparents. And I called him Papa. Sometimes I'll catch myself whistling how the older generation used to whistle everywhere my they went. My father did, yeah. I, I, Still, catch myself whistling the same two tunes that Papa would yeah. whistle while he was working in the garage. And I would follow him yeah. everywhere. If it was the garden, if it was to the garage, if Papa was using a tool, I wanted to use a tool. And he taught me a lot about work ethic. And I don't think I've always listened to those lessons, but now as a man of 45 and trying to be a preacher, a YouTuber, a podcaster, a, a father, a husband, and a disciple of Jesus. There's a lot of work to go around, and you have to be strong in all of it. Yeah, Paul was really laconic. And sometimes the best thing to say is nothing at all until you have absolutely the right thing to say. Yeah, He also wasn't afraid to in a conversation to maybe punch a little bit above his weight class. Uh-huh. If he had an opinion on something and it was a strong opinion, he was going to share it and he was going to defend it. And he wasn't going to back down from somebody who had some other credential, be it a preacher or an educator or something yeah. like that. If he felt strongly about it, he was going to tell you. He also wasn't afraid to tell you he was wrong. I, I I really feel like as much from my own dad, I learned to be a good dad from Paul. Because those two men are just pillars of influence in my life. He died at 94, and I still don't feel like I got enough time with him. I think about him every day of my life. Another is my father-in-law, John Franks. I learned a lot about living with a wife in an understanding way by loving his daughter. That Lauren and I are different. Where I'm an introvert, but I love people. She is an extrovert that really (laughs) loves people. And... Her dad, John, is the same way. Uh, that her mother, Cheryl's, probably a little bit more like me. But I've learned a lot from John about how to sort of balanced in my approach to life. That you don't get too worked up too early about things because most things aren't going to go as bad as you think they will if you just stay consistent in what you're trying to do. He started. College in his late 40s, early 50s, finished college and started a whole new career in the same industry. Went from being foreman at a hospital to being an executive in a hospital in his mid 50s and is coming up on retirement now. He started a whole new career at an amazing stage of his life. Guys like Dee Bowman. I I grew up listening to Dee preach. He has made me want to go to heaven since I was a little boy. I really believe if you miss heaven, you've missed all there is. Uh, My favorite passage in the Bible is Philippians three, because I would hear D preach on that and it would just come alive (laughs) for me. My favorite parable is the prodigal son for the same reason that he could make that parable come alive. People used to tell me early in my preaching life that I sounded like Mm -hmm. D because I had a lot of his mannerisms because that's what I grew up uh, with. But Now that I've found my own voices as a preacher, I don't sound much like Dee anymore, but I sure hope I make the Bible come alive like he does. And there's lots of other guys that are contemporaries of mine. Whether it's men that I'm looking at or men that I have a deeply personal relationship with, those men all mean something. And there's a host more. Godly men are not brash for the sake of being brash. They're not self-serving for the sake of being self-serving. Men, first of all, are godly. I don't care that our culture is trying to undermine masculinity. I'm I don't have to attack culture all the time. I just have to show men what the Bible says about being a godly yeah. man. I can tell you everything that's wrong with culture, but if
0: I haven't told you what's right about being a godly man, I've still failed. Yeah. Yeah. I think for too long we've been fighting the wrong wars. I I am so tired of people bickering about Trump or Biden, or masks or no masks. At the end of the day, that Mm -hmm. really makes absolutely no difference at all. How do you treat people? One of the things, and and this is not a criticism of Dee, but it's just a different way of me thinking about the same idea. He talked about if you've missed heaven, you've missed it all. Instead of that, I often think about the relationship that you have with God. Mm -hmm. The argument that I've made for a long time is that it doesn't make any difference where you go. If you've got the right people there, it's a good trip. If you've got the wrong people there, it's a horrible trip. And I don't care if it's a, at a really beautiful spot. The other thing that I like about thinking about it as a relationship rather than a destination, you can start it as soon as you want to. Because the relationship you can have now, mm-hmm. and it just progresses when you leave here. That said... Absolutely boy what a good guy d was amazing L- let me go back to the use of digital tools what do you think we're missing with digital tools what would you like to be able to say that we're doing with this 5 years from now that maybe we're not doing now two
1: things that i really haven't talked with very many people mm-hmm. about i really would like to see christians engaging in topics we've traditionally been afraid to discuss because we might be wrong on them so one of the things that i'm doing that I'm doing with Biblically Speaking. I've been doing evidences on Biblically Speaking. In fact, there was a morning where it was too cold and too icy to drive to a creation museum that's at the base of Mount St. Helens. And I was going to, had all the plans to. I still haven't been able to get up there. It's probably coming next month is my guess. And so I green screened in some dinosaurs walking behind the car (laughs) as I'm talking about the issues with how we interpret the fossil record, talking me out of going, and one of them making fun of me for not going. But the... It was just fun thing, but it was meant to catch kids. It, but as I continue that, I'm also starting a second episode that makes revelation easier. Because I think revelation is one of those places where we tend to overinterpret. The book says you can hear it and understand it and your faith can grow by it right in the opening chapter. And we tend to overinterpret that book. We tend to be afraid of talking about the book because there's so many bad interpretations yeah. out there. So I want to get back to with biblically speaking to at least one episode a week where there is good, sound, simple discussion of the Bible, taking hard things and making them simple that will allow me to challenge some false doctrine without being negative on the people that believe in it. That I think that's far too often what we excel in saying what we don't believe, but we don't excel in saying what we do yeah. believe. The second thing that I really would like to see us doing in five years is using spaces like YouTube and podcasting to solidify our young people. We are losing our young people for exactly the reason that I said, that our fellowship, our congregations excel at talking about what we don't believe, but we don't create the fellowship and community and culture of believers stating what we do believe. So our young people go out in the world, and I know the Bible says this isn't true, but then science says it is. We haven't told them what the Bible actually says. And I would like to see us using these things because this is the medium that, I mean, young people, uh, uh, there's a guy that's an author who writes about science and God. His name is Stephen Meyer. I absolutely love Stephen Meyer. In fact, I'm putting this out there. If anybody knows Stephen Meyer, I want to interview him. I know he lives in Washington state in the Seattle area. But I haven't found a way to get in contact with him yet. I want to interview this guy because I have used so much of his material. But I know if I hand a young person a Stephen Meyer book, if they're not inclined to be a reader, they're not going to read it, no matter how helpful that book is. But if I hand them something that's mildly entertaining, where they can put their headphones in and listen as they walk across campus or as they work out or plug it into the audio of their car and listen. I've got probably at least a 50/50 shot of catching them if they're interested in the topic. And that's where we have to see. That's our battle with Satan right now is over the hearts and minds of young people and we're losing it. And it's evident that we're losing it because while religious affiliation is going down as a whole across this country, I don't really care about religious affiliation. What I care about are the saints. What are the people of God, the people of the Bible are we growing? Are we not? And the answer is consistently in most areas of the country, we're not, we're losing our young people because we're not engaging them on the battlefront that they understand.
0: I think about the Appian Media Boys and their motivation for, for getting started with that Was, was because they, we kept on bringing out the same dusty old maps and the same chalkboard and the same felt boards. And, and we kept on trying to say that the, The story is old, and I understand that. But the ability for us Mm -hmm. to tell the story has gotten better. I love those guys. You're not going to go to the Bible lands. Most people won't. They're going to take you there. Mm -hmm. As a professor, one of the things that I think we've made a mistake for a long time is the first thing we tell all our students, put your phones away. Look, phones are now the, the digital tools that everybody knows how to use. It's the most ubiquitous form of communication we have. And you're telling us to put it away. How about this instead? Mm-hmm. How about figure out how to use it? How about how to integrate that into? And one of the things that's happened to me in my classroom, and I encourage this. I used to be nervous about this. I'm not nervous anymore. There's a back-channel conversation that's going on while I'm talking. Sometimes it's talking about what's going on on with football. But about 40% mm-hmm. of the time is it some ver- version of, did you understand what Embry just said? Because I don't. (laughs) Did you get it? And what they're doing is they're basically having a back-channel conversation that's clarifying something that I didn't know was confusing. They're helping one another. Mm -hmm. I love that. So I think you're right. The other thing that I love, and I hope this happens... It's just as easy and maybe even easier for us to get lost in our own echo chambers like what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I know how I ruffle when somebody tells me what the Church of Christ believes. Mm -hmm. I have no doubts. My Catholic friends do exactly the same thing when I try to characterize what all Catholics believe or when I try to characterize what some other religion believes. I am so grateful that we have so many different perspectives. The fact that I disagree with a lot of them, that's fine. The fact that I can find out what they really, truly believe, and I don't have to make straw man arguments. If we would take advantage of that more, I would be a lot happier. This gets back again to what we were saying a few minutes ago, that we excel
1: in what we don't believe, but we don't do a good job in putting forth what we do believe. The people that are most likely to engage us in religious discussions. I think for some reason, we all have this idea of the well-meaning, moral, good intentioned atheist or agnostic. That's just never come across anybody that knows about the Bible. And that's the person I'm going to teach. <laughs> you, you look at, at, Acts 17, Paul is teaching and and very few of them, but he seemed to have won over some of them. They at least wanted to hear him again. Paul is teaching people that were steeped in religion. Mm-hmm. They thought the idea of somebody rising from the dead, that was God in the form of yeah. a man, that that was just amazing yeah, yeah, to yeah. them because the, and, and it was foolish yeah. to them, but they still wanted to hear more. Yeah. If you look at atheism in our culture today, it's militant and it's militant because it's not really it doesn't really believe that God is nothing it believes that god is dangerous. Right. And atheism and you can if you go and look at not to plug my own program, but if you go and look at biblically speaking's evidence videos, you'll see the most vocal people in the comments are atheists who are angry that I'm putting that kind of content out there. They don't offer scientific evidence to back up their claim. They offer a lot of invective, a lot of conjecture, a lot of straw man kind of arguments. And you can tell that person doesn't really understand. And they're putting on an affectation of understanding when they personally don't have any clue what they're talking about. If I can get a finger hold on a subject like DNA, which I'm I've for the last two weeks, I've been putting together an episode on DNA and how DNA really points us to God. If I can get a finger hold on that subject in six weeks by reading a few books and And is everything I'm going to say absolutely right? No, because you can't grasp it to that level. If I can at least meet them with a bit of armor that says, okay, you're not going to be able to bamboozle me with straw man arguments or emotional manipulation. I'm here to talk. I'm here to play. Until you can meet that confidently with this is what the Bible says. This is what Mm -hmm. I believe. You're not preparing yourself for anything. And that's. Why these tools are so important, because not everybody's got six weeks to go and study the, the process of how you know, the, the stripping down of DNA and running it through RNA becomes new DNA. And that causes the growth of the body. The production of amino acids are assembling into proteins. Proteins need a 3 the matrix called a protein fold to, to build around. And there's a, there's actually another form of protein in the middle of DNA. So which came first, the DNA or the protein (laughs) called histone that all of this stuff is glomming onto in order for any of it to work. And it's got to be protected by the nucleus of the cell. What that exposes is one huge argument at the bottom, which came first, the cell or the DNA, because you can't have that the dioxyribonucleic acid is not going to survive. And RNA is not going to survive in an alkaline environment. It's not going to survive in an oxidizing environment without some sort of protection. Right. And, but not everybody's got the time to go study that. But if I can impart that to them and then I can direct them to the Bible, there's a huge win for that. And it's where the, where we have to meet our kids that I'm not afraid to answer these questions. I'm not afraid for you to be online. I'm not afraid for you to, Go and research this and come up with some objection to what I've said. As long as you're willing to accept that the Bible is part of the answer, then we can have a discussion.
0: Jared, I have loved this. This has been so much fun. I end all of my podcasts with be good and do good. What's good?
1: (sighs) What's good is hope. We don't have to be negative about everything all the time. This digital medium is a new opportunity for us to tell people about Jesus. And if we use it the right way, there's hope and there's opportunity and opportunity is good. And we have opportunities today to, I have viewers that watch and listen from India. I don't know why they chose to watch and listen to me, but they did. And there's opportunity and anything that glorifies God is good and that's ultimately the challenge for all of us whether we are consuming or producing this kind of media is to do it in a way or consume it in a way that glorifies god could not agree more
0: how could somebody how could somebody <laughs> I feel like i've done consume, that <laughs> how could somebody consume Jared?
1: i have a website jeridbolman.blog where you can find everything. You can find me on Facebook, on YouTube. We're biblically speaking. We're the one that has a green diamond logo found out after I created the program. There were a whole lot of biblically speakings on YouTube, but you'll see my face making some kind of unusual expression in the thumbnails. And you'll know that's mine with kind of a green diamond logo with the corners rounded off. Understand. You can find me on Apple podcast or anchor or Spotify. If you happen to find me on Apple podcast, it's man up with an exclamation point right now. You'll have to search with my name at the end of it because there's also a lot of man ups. I really should do a better job of researching <laughs> names before I name <laughs> things, but it says first Corinthians uh, sixteen thirteen on it. And there's a couple of orange chevrons behind the logo or underneath the man up logo. Uh, if you happen to find it on Apple, give it a listen and, and give us a rating.
0: Jared, thank you for doing this. I have a very strong suspicion. This is not the last time we'll be talking, my friend.
1: I hope not. I've really enjoyed
0: it. I'm going to get you on man up. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be happy to do that. There's always a danger in getting two passionate geeks together, but Jared is a breath of fresh air. Yes, we share a lot of common interests, but a lot of the inspiration I get from Jared is he isn't someone who talks about doing something. He does it. How Thanks for putting Jared on my radar. And Jared, I know we'll be talking soon. Thanks, man. As for the good thing I'm thinking about, I'm grateful for other people who make stuff. Jared has an excellent podcast called Man Up and a YouTube channel called Biblically Speaking. Hal Hammonds has several excellent projects, but I still have an affinity for Citizen of Heaven, where he has been killing it with interviews. Emerson's Excel Still More is focusing on character development lately, and I love that. Text Talk with Edwin and Andrew are in Matthew right now, and they're doing a great job. But there's also Working with the Word by Jeff and Emerson, Devotional Doctors with J.D. and Brian, Bible Geeks with Brian and Ryan, Nikki Lee's podcast, and Benjamin Lee's podcast, Intimate Covenant with Matt and Jen Schmidt. If you're missing this, you're missing some of the best parts of the internet. I know I'm leaving people out, but seriously, if the internet scares you because there's too much negativity there that you just think it's a waste of time, why not try stuff that builds up instead of tearing down? I also want to thank those who financially support the podcast, like Kevin Hansen, Don Nietzsche, Chris Kramer, Barbara McElwain, George Sanchez, and my parents. If you'd like to help support us as well, you're welcome to look me up on Patreon or in the show notes. So you know, The lectureship has been coming along very nicely and I should be able to share some confirmed speakers in the next few weeks as well as how to sign up for it. So until next time, let's be good and do good.